I don't want to share someone else's thoughts. I want to create my own original thoughts. I want to create my own original solutions. I want to look at situations and come up with my own phrasing, my own words, and do it my way. This is the John Taffer Podcast. Shut it down. Hello, hello, everybody. I'm John Taffer. This is the John Taffer Podcast. And, you know, we've been talking uh, the past few weeks about New Year's resolutions and getting ourselves better and COVID and excuses and holding back and career changes and all of these things that are different that we've never dealt with before. And, you know, I wanted to have a great guest on this week, and I do, Dr. Ian Smith, who's hosted The Doctors on television, which some of you may know. I've, I've been on that show several times. And I wanted to have somebody on the show who would be really inspiring and powerful whose words would really make a difference. So a little later, we're going to have Ian in the show, but I got to tell you, Corey, before we get going. What's that, John? I'm thinking of, and I don't want to get too political, but I'm thinking of when Trump was inaugurated, how nobody would go. Oh, yeah. How negative the whole scene was. And then I read in the newspaper this morning how Kevin McCarthy, Republican uh, leader in the Congress, in, in the House, and Bill McConnell, Republican uh, leader in the Senate, went to church yesterday with Joe Biden. Oh, wow. And I can't help but say to myself, this is the way it's supposed to start. Right. Right? To think that, that they, they, they chose to be together, sit together. And the fact that they're praying together isn't such a bad thing either, but the fact is that they wanted to be together. And that the beginning public images that we have is Joe Biden as he's getting ready to be president is in a comrade situation with two Republican House members, Congress members. I think that's pretty terrific. Yeah, that is. So, you know, there are things about this election that I agree with, things that I don't agree with, but one thing I do agree with, we need less divisiveness now. We need some real good plans to move forward. We need a little positive energy. And I got to tell you, seeing that one little thing, Corey, made me say, you know what? The start is good. And when the start is bad, it's tough to turn it into good. Because you think about it, President Trump's administration began a little ugly and ended a little ugly. Yeah. So this one's beginning a little nicer. Maybe it ends a little nicer. So I just want to say hats off to McConnell, McCarthy, and to Biden for, for making that happen, for even discussing making that happen, and for caring enough to do this together. And apparently... We're starting this presidency with a cooperative attitude, and I just don't understand how that's anything but good. So, Bar Rescue's coming back into production. That's as awesome. I mentioned, yeah. about, about four to five weeks from now. So, now we're compiling all of the experts and all the people that we're going to bring back. And, you know, this year in Bar Rescue is going to be very fascinating because we're going to do something that's never really been done on Bar Rescue, which is pierce that fourth wall. Because there's a real curiosity about bar rescue this year, Corey. Not only how do I rescue these bars, how do I rescue these bars during COVID? Yeah. Can I even go inside? Can I not? Do I have to wear a mask? Do I? Right. Can I talk to people face to face? Can I go through the bar? How do I do a stress test? How do I do a reveal? How do I bring experts in and out? How do we do this in this COVID world? So I'm going to tell you, it's about an 80-page document on policies and procedures and the things we need to do to keep everybody safe. Uh, and still execute, you know, a good story. But the difference this year is powerful in Bar Rescue because we've all seen the hurricane episodes. They're some of my favorite episodes of Bar Rescue. Yeah, I agree. You know, I love Operation Puerto Rico. It's still one of the most endearing episodes to me. 
I love, uh, forgive me, I forget the name of the episode with Big Mike's down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That one means very much to be a a bridge over troubled waters or something was the name of that episode. Forgive me, I don't always remember the names. You know, I remember the the, uh, 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 Tuberty Brothers in Far Rockaway, Long Island. And I remember, you know, how helping them mattered. And all of these people were successful operators. So this season of Bar Rescue is a little different. Because, Corey, these aren't people who failed in a traditional sense. These are people whose businesses were going pretty good. And COVID cut their legs off, so to speak. Right. So I'm not dealing with a failing owner, but that doesn't mean that they're not failing at something. It doesn't mean the place couldn't be cleaner or better run and the food couldn't be better and this couldn't be better and that couldn't be better. So what I have to do is take a business that is uh, was successful and convince the owner that he still wasn't as successful as he could be. And in some ways, that's a far bigger challenge yeah. than convincing a guy who knows he's a failure right. that he needs to do things differently. So I see it as a more challenging season. You know, we're, we're going to let everybody see much more how the show is made and what we'll, the things that we need to do to, to make it work in this COVID environment. And uh, uh, we're going to be starting production in just a few weeks. So I'm pretty darn excited about it, I must tell you. I'm sure you're just excited to get out of the house. yes well Corey's been with me every week right here this is my home bar he's been coming to me every week and we've been making this show and you've been really good about living in a bubble and wearing a mask and sanitizing everything and you know I want to just thank my whole company you know Sean Alan Jackie Corey uh, uh, and all the other people in the company that have worked so hard this year to keep me safe and uh, you guys have thank you and and vaccines are around the corner and uh, uh, you know it's going to be nice when I get that vaccine in my arm, Corey, I almost feel like is the minute the needle goes in, there's like chains that come off my legs concurrently at the same time, or 28 days later, whatever the heck it is. But that's a pretty exciting time. So I'll never forget uh, when all this first happened, you called everybody. And uh, I remember you said, you know, it's going to be tough, but we're all going to get through it. And it uh, feels like we're, we're getting there. So We did. I also remember when everybody said 50, 60% of restaurant fallout. It looks like it's going to be closer to 35%, which hopefully is okay. And I still, for the life of me, scratch my head that in California, Governor Newsom, who should be Assam, his name should be changed to Assam, <laughs> but Governor Newsom has stores opened but outside dining closed. And it's puzzling how this could happen under any logic whatsoever. And I really think that as the vaccine catches up come April, that, that the suffering is really going to start to be reduced. And, and as I've said I've, on this podcast and on all the news channels, Boomtown is coming this summer. And people are going to be excited to get out again and be with each other. And I know I will be. But, you know, as the New Year's came about, I can tell you how many people said, well, John, my New Year's resolution is this, and my New Year's resolution is that. And if I call up any friend, almost anybody, and I say, what's your New Year's resolution? They come up with something. Nobody really says, or very few people say, oh, I, you know, John, I never even really thought about it. It's not a New Year's resolution. but We all seem to think at the new year of what, what should the new year hold for me? You know, what's going to be better? Am I going to make more money? Am I going to have more friends? Am I going to have more travel? Am I going to have more stuff? I mean, if I collect baseball cards for conversation's sake, am I going to have more baseball cards? Am I going to find that great card that I never found before? If I'm trying to open businesses, is this the year? that it explodes and I'm hugely successful. If I'm trying to find locations, is this the year that I find the greatest location in the world? So we we all think in these terms of, you know, what is this year going to be? And at some point we all think about what can be better. 
you know, what can be better about my life, my marriage, my relationship with those people I love, my family, my children, my spouse? What, what can be better in my relationships with my partners? How do I do my job better? How do I set myself up for a better year? Now, next year is going to be better than this year in almost every way, post-COVID, right, as we all get out of this. But how do you set yourself up for a better year? And we've been talking about this these past few weeks. People say New Year's resolution, but 70 to 80% of them are gone in freaking days. Yeah. And I used to be very good friends with Buddy Hackett. And some of you might know Buddy Hackett, the comedian. If you don't, you should go on, on YouTube and Google Buddy Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T. And Buddy was a very dear friend of mine. I sat on a board of his charity, and I believe he's one of the greatest comedians of all time. Most comedians would agree with me. And Buddy used to say, John, I've been on a diet for two weeks, and I lost 14 days. <laughs> and he was comical. So he let himself off the hook by turning it into a joke. But... What would it have taken to make Buddy be more serious about that and not blow it off to have lost 14 days rather than 14 pounds? So what is it about our brains that cause us to say, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and then we don't do it? Or I really believe this is the best thing for me, and then I don't do it. Or I say this is the best way for me to achieve this objective in my life of health or wealth or whatever it is, and then I don't do it. Isn't it amazing that we as human beings know that there's something that we can do that will truly make our lives better? We know that. It'll make us healthier. It'll make us happier. It'll get us more relationships. Get us. We know that if we do X, we're going to get Y. We freaking know it, but we still don't do X. And I wonder that in Bar Rescue all the time. You know, this person found a great location. They put their ass on the line, Corey, when they built it. They put all their money into it. They opened, and then they knew if they did X, they'd get Y, but they didn't do X. And they knew better. And I think that how many businesses in my life, and I've been all over the world helping businesses, from multi-billion dollar corporations to small ones, and in almost every case, they didn't do X knowing they would have gotten why. And I always think to myself, excuse me for saying this, because I don't curse that much on this show. How the fuck does that happen? <laughs> that somebody would know, man, if I just do this, my life will be better. I'll live 20 years longer. But I don't do it. So when we think about our New Year's resolutions and we think about what we want for ourselves this year, we all want something. Do we want the spouse that we don't have, the friends that we don't have, the weight loss that we dream of, the weight gain that we dream of, the, the muscles that we dream of, the world travel that we dream of, the pizza that we dream of, whatever it is in your life that it is that you want, why do you not go all the way to get it? Well, I want to talk about that today because it puzzles the hell out of me, Corey. And when I see it in Bar Rescue and I see this guy is smart, this guy knows he's screwing up. This guy knows he can do better. Why doesn't he do it? But he doesn't. So why don't you do it? Why don't I do it sometimes? Why don't we do it? What is it that causes us to block an action that would make our lives better? Well, I wanted to really have somebody who knew their shit to talk to me about this today. So Dr. Ian Smith is the author of 18 books his recently released book, Mind Over Weight, addressed one of the biggest obstacles in weight loss, mental fitness. 
a graduate of Harvard College, Columbia University, and the University of Chicago, Pritzker School of Medicine, right? Doctor also is a mental fitness expert, and he believes that mental fitness is the complete obstacle to success. I can think of no one who's better equipped to talk about how I set my mind up to set myself up to take the actions that will make my life better. Well, those of you that follow me know I've been on The Doctors several times. And The Doctors is produced by Jay McGraw, who's Dr. Phil's son. And both Dr. Phil and Jay are very dear friends of mine. Matter of fact, Phil and I are business partners in some businesses. So, so Dr. Ian Smith is the new host of The Doctors, which just crossed its 2000th episode, quite an accomplishment. So he has written books on this very topic. What is it in you that prevents you from doing the things that you know would make your life better or great? I want to talk about that with Dr. Ian and with so many topics. But I want to find this out because if we know the answer to this and if we can change that stimulus or whatever it is in our brain that does that, then we can hit the promised land. You can hit the promised land. Nothing holds you back then. So when I come back, I'm going to be with Dr. Ian Smith. Talk to you then. Don't shut down this podcast. John Taffer will be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Goldman Sachs. What do Goldman Sachs experts and leading thinkers have to say about trends shaping markets, industries, and the global economy? Stay informed with the latest insights from Goldman Sachs on the economic and market implications of COVID-19. Available on our podcasts at gs.com slash COVID-19 or any of your favorite podcast platforms. All righty. Well, it, it, it's a pleasure, Dr. Ian, to have you because, uh, man, I can think of nobody who I'd want to talk about this topic more than you. So welcome, my friend. John, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So we've been talking about New Year's resolutions. And you know me, I'm always focused on how do we improve ourselves and, and our business environments. And we've all been through hell this year. We know that. All of us have been affected in negative ways based upon COVID. And, you know, I found, doctor, that attitudes have changed. Some people have lost a little confidence in their environment. Maybe some people feel a little detached with their own ability to control their own destiny a little bit, right? Because we've certainly lost control of our futures a little bit this year. And we've all, just like every other year, said, these are the things I want to be better this year. These are the resolutions that I want to, you know, make for myself. And even though we've come off such a terrible year, we're still going into this new year with this premise of, revel of, of New Year's resolutions and making ourselves better. And first I would ask, isn't it a shame that, what, 70 to 80% of resolutions drop off the first week or so? I mean, the number is astronomical. Yeah, it's amazing. Definitely by February 1st. First of all, let me just say that I am a very public opponent of New Year's resolutions. I don't believe that they're healthy. I don't believe that they're effective. And I think that they lull people into the same routine of having all this enthusiasm about things that they want to change. And then they fall off and we'll start. That's okay. I'll start again next year. I just think that's the wrong approach. I've been telling people don't make new year's resolutions, make year long commitments. And I think that is the key. 
when you make a new year resolution, then you typically are saying to yourself, oh, I can have like 10 things. I'm going to work on all these different things. But when, when you really take the time and say, I want to make year commitments, then maybe you're only going to do three or four things. And just by mere virtue of carefully and diligently thinking through what are the real things that you want to change, and you're not trying to change too much, three or four things, and you're committing it, you're committing to it for a year, that really increases the chance of you being successful. And I think that a lot of people this time of the year, it's not that the heart's not in the right place. It's not that they don't have the enthusiasm. It's just that their mental outlook on what they're about to do, I think needs realignment. So if I, th- um, if I say I wanna lose 30 pounds, um, I wanna lose 30 pounds this year. I don't wanna lose 30 pounds in the first three months. Right. If I could lose 30 pounds in four or five months, great. But if I mentally prepare myself that this is a year long commitment. Number one, it takes, it takes pressure off. But number two, it allows me to have a gradual process. And we all know that habits are more sustainable and they are built well when they are done over time and not in a rush situation. You know, it, that, that's really powerful what you just said. You know, I'm thinking to myself, boy, how right is this? Because when I do a New Year's resolution, it's like an artificial timeline. Rather than I'm ready for this, rather than I'm excited about this, I have some really ambiguous date that I'm plucking out of the sky and suddenly it becomes a New Year's resolution. I'm with you, Doc. That makes perfect sense to me. So change needs to be more real. It needs to be based more in a desire than than a calendar date, in essence, is what you're saying, which makes a lot of sense. And John, the other thing is that even when it comes, for example, to weight loss, People try to change too many things at once. You have to realize it takes time to acquire these lifestyle habits that are different than what you practiced before. And so when someone's trying to lose weight, I don't want you trying to lose weight, to stop smoking, to stop using profanity in your house, um, and to you know be more generous to your neighbors all at the same time, because you know it's too much. You got to focus. It's all about focus. And I think that people would be best served if they were able to focus on these, these, the smaller number of goals and hit them and then say, okay, great. I got this down. And by the way, it may, you may hit the goal before a year, which would be great, but you're giving yourself a year. If you hit them before a year, now you can add something else to the mix, but really start small and gradual. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I had a friend whose father was in the mafia. And he used to say to me, you know, in the mob, we always say half as much twice as long. Because mm-hmm. if I tell you I'm going to lose 30 pounds in a year and I lose 30 pounds in a year, whoop de doo But if I yeah. lose 30 pounds in less than a year, then yeah, that's great. So yeah. if we set our minds up to over-deliver a little bit and yeah. have some joy and victory in that over-delivering, then, then obviously there's a logic to that that follows business logic, right? Under, underestimate, over-deliver. 100%. In my book, Mind Over Weight, it's all about the mind, by the way. And even though it's called Mind Over Weight, and it helps people who are on a weight loss journey, it really is a book that can be applied to all aspects of life. Things like finding your motivation and keeping your motivation. How do you set proper goals? How do you build a winning environment? How do you fix your relationship to food and those around you as it comes to weight loss? These are all kind of issues and dilemmas that we face life in general, whether it's business, whether it's education, whether it's personal relationships, these are things. And it really all starts above the neck and between the ears. People don't spend enough time 
thinking about the mental approach to their issues. We're in such a fast paced world and people just act on instinct rather than say, okay, let me take 15 minutes and think about it. Like one of my favorite things to do is I'm an early riser, okay? I love to wake up, everyone's sleeping. And the first like five to 10 minutes, I just sit and think through stuff. Like I, and it's, it doesn't have to be the most, the deepest, most philosophical stuff. I think about, okay, what's the day going to look like? I may say, what am I going to eat today? Okay, today I want to have this. I want to have that. And I just think through it. When am I going to do it? How am I going to get it? We don't give enough attention and time to thinking through things before we start doing it. You know, it's interesting. I, I almost call it the mechanics of life. We are so busy working in our lives that we don't have a chance to work on our lives. Wow. I'm going to use that, John. <laughs> no, please do, because it's really powerful. Because business is the same way, Doc. We're, we're, you know, I'm so focused on getting the door open every day and getting the door closed and the money in the bank and the stuff. On, I never step back from it and say, how do I work on it now? And should mm -hmm. I take 20% of my time and work on it and then 80% of my time in it? Because mm -hmm. I'm not going to grow myself or my business if I don't work on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, mm -hmm. so, so it's, it's, I'm just taking what you're saying and, you know, mo moving it into the kind of, you know, ways that I relate to things. It's really powerful, but I want to ask you a personal question. Have you always been this disciplined? Cause you have a remarkable education. When I look at your background, I see a very disciplined man, a very career oriented, objective oriented man. Did you work at this uh, doctor or was this the way you've always been? Well, I think that you know, I don't want to take great credit for it in the sense that I was born in the blue collar family. And where'd you um, grow up? What city? I grew up in a small town in Connecticut called Danbury. Sure. I know Danbury well. Yeah. And we, we struggled. Uh, I didn't have a biological dad living with me. So my mother was my mom and dad and we struggled. Um, but while we were very, um, we were lacking in material wealth, we were very wealth, very wealthy in educational beliefs um, in obedience, uh, in hard work, in dreams, in passion. So all the kind of intangible things that really are important for the recipe of success, I had them because we had adversity and because I wanted to, to, to transcend and I wanted my family to be able to transcend our current station in life. And so what happens by default, like I said, I wasn't clairvoyant, by default, you learn discipline. You learn that if I repeat something enough, then I can get better at it. And if I get good enough, then I can achieve these goals. And if I can achieve these smaller goals, then I can get to the bigger goals. So it just, even at a young age, because of the fire inside of me to, to do better and be better and to help my family, um, I think by default, it taught me just discipline. Also growing up, you know, my grandfather was from the South a guy who never went past sixth grade, but he was very disciplined. I mean, he had rules, you don't do this. And he wasn't rigid, but he, he, he was disciplined. Like there's certain things he would do, he, he wouldn't do. He had standards, he had standards in his life. Standards, standards, absolutely. And he got up every day and went to work. He didn't whine, he didn't complain. He brought food home for the family. He had, we had air conditioning in the, in the summer and heat in the winter, the basics. But he was reliable, he was a great provider. And that I think osmotically when I was a young, no, you're young, you don't understand it. But the osmosis, the process of absorbing that without realizing it, then when I got older, it just was who I was. I, just, I was just built that way at that point. 
You know, it's interesting. I grew up in an environment where, where sort of the opposite of you. My parents and grandparents attained great wealth. And my grandfather actually invented direct mail. So died, oh, wow. d d direct marketing d died a yeah. pretty wealthy man. So my grandfather went from an uneducated immigrant to a very wealthy man and elevated the entire family, just like you've done with your family. And, you know, to me, I had the success around me that applied pressure to mm. be as good as them or to take it to the next level of them. And through that, I got my work ethic. It's interesting how you got it in an opposite way materially, but wound up with exactly the same work ethic. Here's a deep question, doctor. That Hold on, John, before you go there, I want to say something. But see, I have to give you credit because everyone in your situation, they don't move in the direction you moved. A lot of people in your situation are either crushed by the expectation what they're trying to live up to, it crushes them, or they are seduced into mediocrity because of what they have. So what you did actually, in my opinion, was just as difficult as what I did because you had every reason not to have fire, not to be disciplined, not to be driven, but you still did it. And that is very, that's very key. Interesting. So here's the big question that I have for you. And you know, you've become so good at being able to inspire and help other people understand themselves. There are people, I didn't think about this consciously when I made these choices, doctor. They just happened subconsciously to me. You know, you said, I realize if I do something again and again, I get better at it. I never had that thought consciously, but I reacted in that way. My subconscious somehow came up with that conclusion. Some of us, maybe you and I, do this subliminally almost. You know, our brains naturally move to this next step. Other people have to stop and consciously think about it and move themselves. Is that a fair assessment that in a way that there's two different types of people? 100%, maybe more actually. I think, I think it's in our hard wiring. I think really that there are even small nuanced differences in how we are hardwired and while our wiring will not always predict how we behave or how we do in life, it does give us a start, right? It gives us a start. And so let me give you an example. If your genes say that you're going to be 6'8", and another guy's genes say you're going to be 5'7", well, the guy who's 6'8", has a pretty darn good start at becoming a pretty darn good basketball player. He has some assets, some hardwired yep. assets that will give him an advantage over the five, seven guy. However, if the six, eight guy doesn't work, um, doesn't try as hard as doesn't, you know, do get his reps in, he's going to be a six, eight blob who can't do anything versus the five, seven guy. Gonna run who circles not, around him. That's right. Who may not, he won't be able to play center, but he can play point guard yep. and he can play great defense. So, so I think that we are hardwired differently, but what that hardwire will predict, and if it comes to fruition, really depends on all the stuff that we learn and do and execute. You understand what I'm saying? I do. It's almost like when I build a building, there's a blueprint. But as we build it, we change it right? We modify things. We, you know, this room should be bigger. Maybe this doesn't look right. This, so it, it's still evolved. It's a starting point, but it yes. isn't necessarily the ending point. You know, Perfect. it's, 
it's so, so this is the big question. And, and by the way, I love talking to you. I could talk to you all day long, doctor. So, so how do you take the person who has to work at this a little more and put them in a position where A, they understand that and B, they're motivated to deal with it? Because that I know is what you deal with day to day in your life. How do you get there? Three ways. The first thing is you have to teach people patience. It's difficult. Uh, patience is a difficult concept for a lot of people, particularly in the world that we live in where everything is instant gratification. But you have to teach those people patience. And you have to teach them that over time, if they put the work in, that while they may not be advancing in the leaps that they'd like, but even small moves eventually will get them here to the top. So first is patience. The second thing is that you really have to, I, human beings are visual people, right? We're visual people. And sometimes words don't do justice. You have to show people, you have to show examples. Like you said about your granddad, uh, he was an immigrant, uh, a poor immigrant, uh, discovered direct marketing and became this very wealthy, successful guy. Well, being able to see his story to see his trajectory, that right there is, is inspirational. That is transformative for a lot of people because it says to somebody else, geez, well, what did he have that I don't have? Exactly. And if he can do it, then I can do it too. So you need patience. You need some type of visual representation um, that makes, makes it an aspirational. So I'd, I'd like to be like him in this way. Absolutely. Who you want to emulate. In essence, pick that goal physically as an individual. That's fascinating. Goes a long way, by the way, without any words. Yeah. You know, without just seeing that situation, you sit there and say, you know, we're smart people. Man, geez, he did that. He did that. Hey, maybe I got a shot. Maybe I got a shot. And, and, and then that goes to my third thing, which is that you have to be able to get people to be hopeful. Hopeful. I believe that the reason why so many people who don't have things, why they don't do things to better their lives, while they, why they tend to break the law, why they tend not to really care about societal norms is because they're hopeless. Right, so, right? Why, they so why do it? Why do it? Yeah. For what? I'm, not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm never going to get there. It's, it's not this... This situation isn't meant for me, so who cares? I'm not gonna follow the rules because I'll never get anything out of it. They're hopeless. Right. If we can make people feel more hopeful in the country and to, to think that if you work hard and do the right thing, that you'll be given a fair shake, you'll be given a fair shake and an opportunity, then you start changing people's mindset and then people start saying, and, and, and they're patient, right? And they're patient, you know, you can't go from, you know, driving a VW to a Mercedes in a week, right? Yes, so you got to get rid of that mindset. Yep. But if, if people are patient and they're hopeful that it can work, then you get the buy-in. And, and, and when you get that buy-in, can't man, stop them. Can't stop cool. them. And cool. incremental success. I've always told people, fine, you know, I understand you want to lose 30 pounds in a year. That's great. But learn to embrace the two pounds you lost this month. Oh. Learn to attach some success to that because that can inspire you to get to the next two pounds, certainly. You know, doctor, I wrote a book called uh, uh, 
don't BS yourself. Cut the excuses that are holding you back. And it's one of the few books, actually, Dr. Phil endorsed my book, and I was on his show for a whole episode about it. And the premise of the book was that I was doing about, uh, into my 120th episode of Bar Rescue or so, and I looked at somebody, the owner, and I said, why are you failing? And she looks at me and says, I'm failing because of the euro in Greece. And at that moment, I realized in Detroit, Michigan, that 120 bar rescues, I've looked at 120 owners, I've asked them all the same question, why are you failing? And never once did one of them say I'm failing because of me. So I then realized every one of them had this deflecting excuse. I'm failing because of the government. I'm failing because of the weather. I'm failing because of this, Congress, the president. They had everything in the world. So when they wake up in the morning, my view was they'd look in the mirror, look at themselves and say, I'm failing because of that. So where's the inspiration to change if you don't own that? So I then said, okay, I'm going to pick the five biggest excuses that I find out there. Excuses like fear, knowledge, circumstance, scarcity, right? And, and, and look at Stephen Jobs and people like that who none of those things mattered to. They didn't have a dime. They were in the garage. They had scarcity. They had, and, and think to myself, if I can eliminate people from making excuses, what have I done? Because an excuse is a reconciliation of a failure. Either I did something I shouldn't have, didn't do something I should have, or I screwed up. So I come up with an excuse. Now, the greatest excuse of our generation is upon us, COVID. And it, it, sure, it's real in many, many cases. But how many people are using COVID now as a reason not to be assertive about their lives, about their careers, about going forward? So I, I sort of have looked at your teachings in a different way from this business prospect of saying, if I can get people not to say excuses and own their failures, then they'll look in the mirror in the morning and say, I'm failing because of me. And I won't mm-hmm. like that. That'll inspire me to change. So it's interesting. I looked at it from the glasses sort of empty because I deal with failing businesses all the time. Mm-hmm. And you look at it as a doctor with a very uh, a profound education compared to mine and present it in a very different way. But yet it's interesting because there's a similarity to what you're saying. And, and the other thing, the other part of what you just said, which is you said, uh, if you could look in the mirror and you say that I'm failing because of me, the good thing about that also is you can control yourself. See, if you blame all these other things- It's out of your hands. That are out of your control, well then what you're basically saying is that you can't control your own destiny. So, you know, and so my so hope- my It's back hope to hope. Is, it's back to hope, then their hope is gone. Why do it? Why do it, right? It's exactly right. And so I say to people all the time, hey, listen guys, you say, you know, em- embrace the small victories. Small battles add up to win the war. You sure just do. don't win the war. You got to win this battle and that battle. Well, you just don't lose 30 pounds. You got to lose two pounds and three pounds and five pounds, then no pounds, then one pound. It's, this, is, this is the process, but you have to celebrate. And in my books, I talk about how a big part of achieving is rewarding yourself. Now, that may be, geez, you may download a movie or, you know, but you got you to gotta smell the roses sometimes, you know, while you can smell them. You got to... And, and because success begets success. Sure so does. if you're successful and you acknowledge it and you feel good about it, most people are not going to just rest on their laurels. Most people are going to say, Ooh, I like this. This feels good. Sure I want more of it. Right. right. What can I do now to get even more of it? And I think that that's critical for a lot of people. You know, when I was young, I smoked four, four and a half packs of cigarettes a day wow. when I was in my young twenties. 
And mm. I started smoking when I was, I don't know, 15, 16 years old. And everybody did back then. But I was addicted. There was a cigarette burning all the time. I had a physical addiction, a mental addiction, a whole nine yards, Doc. I was in. Chain smoker. Big time. And uh, my daughter was going to be born. And my wife was pregnant with my daughter. And she was coming in about 30 days. And somehow, it, I just said, that's it. I'm done. And I put the cigarette away. And somebody handed me a sealed test tube that had a cigarette and a match in it, a piece of glass, like a sealed on both sides. And it says for emergency break. And I left that in my shirt pocket and I'd look at it several times a day and say, who's gonna win, me or you? Who's gonna win, me or you? And I turned it into a war against it. Hmm. And I really set up my mind as who's gonna win this? Are you gonna win or am I gonna win? Hmm. And I stopped cold. And uh, I never did it again. And that was a long, long time ago. My daughter's now 32 years old. But, but that accomplishment in my life, I believe set me up for many of the successes that followed. It mm -hmm. taught me so much about myself that I could succeed in this insurmountable task. Mm -hmm. And to yeah. our listeners, everyone can achieve an insurmountable task if we go at it. And when you achieve one, oh boy, the others are just in your future. Because there's absolutely. no such thing as one. That's absolutely. You know, it's interesting you say that because my mother, my mother was a smoker too. She smoked a lot too, by the way. And my brother and I, we couldn't stand the smell of smoke. We were young kids. We didn't know about the health implications. We just, it yeah. made us choke, right? My mother, we would beg her, stop smoking. Once again, not because we were worried about her health. We didn't know any better. But stop smoking. It smells so bad, so bad. She wouldn't stop smoking. One day she came home from work. I'll never forget this. One day she came home from work and she said, I quit smoking. We're like, huh? We thought she was joking. She goes, I'm not going to smoke anymore. And we said, why? What happened? And she had seen at work a video from the American um, Cancer Society about lung cancer. And in the video, the mother, who was a longtime smoker, was dying. And she was about to leave her two young kids behind without a mother. My mother stopped cold turkey that day. Well, it is the most courageous, one of the most amazing things that she has done. Because, John, to stop an addiction like smoking cold turkey is an absolute monumental feat. So kudos to you, my mother. Honor. It's not easy. It's not easy. So, so unfortunately, buddy, we don't have all day because I could talk to you all day. But for my listeners who, let's say, I'm with you, it shouldn't be a New Year's resolution. It should be a plan for a year, an objective for a year. But the fact that people sat down and thinking about the new year and saying, how can I better myself? And that thought process is still good. That happens once a year. So let's assume that our listeners are with you, Doc, and they say, you know what, I'm not going to think of this as a New Year's resolution. I'm going to think of this as a year commitment. Yep, I'm with you, Doc. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spread out my goals so that they're achievable. I'm going to try to feel good about the incremental success that I make. And what would be the, the final guidance that you would give to these people? And then I'm going to ask them to recommend them to which one of your books you think best applies to help them through this. But give us those few tidbits of advice, if you can, for mindset before we go. Sure. I think the first thing that people need to do is this is a great exercise. Take a piece of paper or your note section in your phone. Write down five things you do really well and five things you don't do too well. And be honest about it. I don't want 10 and 20. I want just five. Five things you do well and five things you don't do too well. Then 
Once you have that list, then in your mind, figure out for each item on what I do well, ask yourself, could I do these even better? Maybe not, but can I? Is there room to do better? And then on the five things that you don't do really well, sit there and really look at that list and ask yourself, do you actually want to change in those five areas? Not because your wife or loved one or friend told you, but do you yourself. Because it matters to you. Do these things matter to you? And if you and circle what what matters to you and whatever you circled, that now becomes your driving force. We're going to work on these things. Five or less. That's it. Five or less. We're not trying to you know, reinvent the wheel right now. Now, I also want to say that people need to have vision. You got to have you have to visualize what your life is going to look like, not just for the day, but for weeks, for a year, for five years. You have to have vision. I really believe, and I'm a very goal-oriented person like you are, and I believe that when you have goals, both small and large, it gives you purpose. Yeah. It gives your life meaning. It becomes an engine. Yeah. You know, it's a driving force. And the last thing I would say is, and people are going to probably laugh at this, people don't spend enough time on themselves, like literally. Yeah. Like we get so wrapped up in the maze of life that we don't take enough time one hour at least every day, you should do something that matters to you. That's important to you. Not because you got to take the kids to school. You got to do this. No. What do you want to do? Listen to music, look at art, watch, you know, a TV show, a movie, write, read. I don't care. One hour a day. I remember reading a study and I think it said only about 12% of people actually spent an hour a day doing something that they enjoy for themselves. Wow. Those things to me, John, if you just did those three things, those things can be transformative for a lot of people. Yeah, I believe that. So, so somebody who's looking to, to go down this path of, you know, getting in touch with what those things are, is there a book of yours in particular that you think would be meaningful to somebody yeah, who's th- on that journey now? Yes. I think that if you read Mind Overweight, it's a short book. It's only seven chapters. It'll take two hours to read. It's very short but it's very dense in the, the information it provides to you. So I think Mind Overweight is great. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to lose weight, uh, my new book is called Fast Burn. It's a nine-week program. The average weight loss is 12 to 15 pounds in nine weeks, which is a lot, by the way. Yeah, sure is. And then if you're looking for something for fun, I know COVID has been very stressful. You want a distraction. My new novel is called The Unspoken, and you can get it on Amazon, The Unspoken. It's about a detective in Chicago who leaves the forest and becomes a private investigator and takes on the case of a very wealthy missing girl in Chicago. Ooh, that sounds good, buddy. So, so uh, 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 you're a pretty special guy, and, and uh, congratulations on the doctors. You know, uh, I just remember a few weeks ago, crossed your 2000th episode. Yes. You know, it's an and we important... Gotta, yeah, we got to have you on because I think that what you bring to the table, other people need to hear. And because part of the show... We're not doing just medicine this year. We're really trying to do overall wellness. Um, And that includes inspiration, motivation, uh, thinking, mental wellness. So I would love to have you come on the show and really chop it up with me about some of these topics. They're very important to a lot of people. I agree with you. And I'd love to do that, Doc. You know, it's interesting when I look at your work on Rachel Ray or look at your work on today and the things you've done in the past. You know, you've, you've, your whole career, you've tried to help people from the very beginning, from your whole purpose of your education at Harvard and everything else that you've done. 
Now with this platform on the doctors and the ability to talk to people every day in this kind of a way, I'm guessing it's exciting for you because you can really impact lives with this format. I love it. Anytime I get a chance to change just one life, John, just one life, it means something to me because I value life. I value the fragility of life. If you live to be 100, life is still too short. So even on my Instagram page, and people should follow me, at Dr. Ian Smith, spell the doctor out, I-A-N Smith. I try to give people motivation, exercises, fun stuff, just for someone to say, hey, I feel good, or this helps me. I, I'm just, I love helping people. That's all I can, you know, I'm built that way. Yeah, so I got to tell you, I'm going to do it. Everybody should go to that Instagram page and, and, and follow Dr. Ian Smith, because I got to tell you, with the kind of feeds that we get today, some inspirational and helpful messaging like that in our feeds would help us all. And, yes, and we can all use a little motivation at a time like this. Doctor, what a pleasure uh, uh, to spend this time together. And I hope that, you know, the conversations that we've had had made people think about, you know, the little steps that they can do to improve their lives. And, you know, I'm looking at the room that you're sitting in, and I'm looking at the lion behind you. I, I'm guessing that is a lion. And, lion and I couldn't help but think several times during this interview, I'm talking to one lion-hearted doctor. You My know, best friend from college painted that for me, by the way. Who did? My best friend from college, who's a law professor at Wake Forest, painted that. We've been friends for over 30 years, uh, and that means a lot to me. Well, you're a lion for helping people. And Thank you, my friend. I, I couldn't help but think, keep thinking that as I was talking to you. So let's do this again soon. I'd love to pick up this conversation, whether it be on The Doctors, my podcast, or anything that you're doing. Uh, uh, let's keep in touch. You're coming on The Doctors soon. I'm going to text the EP right now. Great, buddy. All right, man. Be well. Take Stay care. safe. Wow, that was something else. I'll be right back. Don't shut down this podcast. John Taffer will be right back. You know, I got to tell you, I've had a lot of people on this podcast, a lot of famous people on this podcast, right? We've had Mark Cuban on this podcast. I've had the president of the United States on this podcast. You might not love Donald Trump, but the fact of the matter is he was the president of the United States and he was on my podcast. Right. So, but I got to tell you, there's few guests that I can ever remember talking to that were more inspiring to me than Dr. Ian, more knowledgeable to me than Dr. Ian, or left me with really powerful things to think about. So... Blow up your New Year's resolutions. Create a resolution for the year. I think that's a great idea. That is, yeah. Come up with a goal that's longer term. Recognize that there's small steps of success along the way. Do the positive things that you're great at list and do the things that you're not great at list that Dr. Ian recommended. That's a great exercise. I'm going to do it myself. And it'll give you focus. It'll give you reasonable goals. It'll give you a reason to, as Dr. said, have hope that this can really, really happen. You know, this is a year of freedom. This is the year we get out of our houses because we've been locked up. This is the year that businesses will be able to operate with freedom again. This is the year that we'll have the freedom, the opportunity to change jobs, move around, do things. I think a lot of opportunity comes out of the premise of losing freedom and then getting it back, which we all did. Don't let it go to waste. Focus on some of the lessons that we talked about today. Don't let not doing X, remove your chance to get Y because you deserve it. 
Well, that's going to just about do it for me, but I'm pretty excited about next week. Next week, we'll have one of my favorite people, Damon John, will be here. And last time he was on a podcast, he talked about the fact that he had invested in, you ready for this, 87 businesses as a result of being on Shark Tank. And I'm wondering, which one of those businesses were impacted by COVID, which weren't? Uh, uh, who really got out the other side of it? Who has performed, who hasn't? And is it the company that succeeded better during COVID than another? Or was it the owner, the operator, the leadership of a company that performed better than another? If we're all focusing on what is our future gonna be post-COVID? How does it affect our careers? How does it affect our entrepreneurship if that's where we're going? How does it affect all of the destiny that we have as business people, as working people? Then. Damon has a lot of advice to give us on what's working, what isn't, and what he's doing with his 87 businesses to prepare for COVID, to prepare for post-COVID, and who's winning and who's losing. So, if you care about your professional future, if you care about the opportunities as an entrepreneur that might be ahead of you, or the professional opportunities that might be ahead of you as a working person, as an executive, as a creative person, as a technical person, don't miss next week's podcast. Talk to you then, everybody. Bye-bye. Subscribe to the John Tapper Podcast right now for more episodes every Thursday.